Uh, I don't do this every time, but I should um, feel the need to, and I appreciate Ken's prayer uh, for me. I'll pray again. Um, Father, speak through your word. Speak through me. Um, humble us all to see what's true in you, our great and gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to thank the Redinger family. Thank you all. I know it's it's never the most uh, comforting thing to get up and share with everybody, but it really is meaningful. Um, the same with the Wheelers last week. Erica was fantastic job. Uh, and then a few other families we've asked to share during Christmas time and Advent season. And some of you would look at Ken and I and think, oh, it's, you know, it's probably fairly standard for them to get up and share. Um, and I know it's, it's not that disruptive to us because we've done it for a while now. But we also know every, each time it's, it's basically just putting ourselves out there in a way that is a bit uncomfortable because even now, it's like the study you've done this week and to say things that apply to the God of the universe is a little bit intimidating. Um, but it is humbling, right? And if there is something that's valuable in our pursuit of the God of the universe, it would be the characteristic of being humble. And I was thinking as I laid in bed this morning at 3 a.m., uh, it just hit me that we do seek to be humble. And we'd all appreciate the humble nature of the Christmas season. Uh, we talked a little about Sunday school of Bethlehem was a humble city. Uh, the manger is a humble crib. The stable is a humble room. Um, the shepherds are a humble audience. Oh, and I have to put in there too, what do you think a new mother wants after going through hours of labor and delivery as she quiets down to relax and rest? And up comes a little boy and says, I know what this girl needs, a drum solo. <laughs> it was one of the funnier memes I've seen recently. Like, oh yeah, that little boy knew just what he's doing. And that's, uh, that's a, just a story anyway. Um, but the nature of Christmas is humble. The nature of our God is humility. But hum I don't know what the Greek Latin root word of like humil or H-U-M, you know, that, that root of that, but it's the same root in humiliating. I'm humiliated. And that is one of the most negative words in our English lexicon. To be humiliated, if any, if people are afraid that I will humiliate them, and for good reason, I've humiliated plenty of people in my life, um, Sarah most commonly. Yeah, she's not over there, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and it keeps, us, it keeps us all on our toes. Humiliation, I, I try to avoid it because it can have an impact on a person where it can make, cause them to really change a lot about what they do, how they see and think about themselves. However, I know that my own humiliation is the source of causing me to be a humble man. And to be a humble man is the reason I believe I know Christ, um, that he chose me and in the humility I could muster that he gave to me, I'm not really sure which, that I can see that he indeed is the savior of the world and that I indeed have my sins forgiven and that I indeed have a hope for forever and a confidence for forever in Christ and in God the Father and through his spirit that exists and is here even now. And I'm so thankful for the times I've been humiliated for the sake of um, humility. However, I know that's frightening. 
And you're right. It is frightening. It's, I think it is part of our human nature to say, do not tear down my towers. Do not cast off the crowns that I've put upon my head of who I am and what I need to be. And for those who have towers, have walls, have crowns, humiliation is the act of those falling down. And that hurts almost every time. And so today we come across the part of the Christmas story that is <coughs> Joseph and Mary. And I think you know, it's like, oh, I didn't mention it in my list off of humble parts of the Christmas story. It's like, who more humble than a young man and a young woman, a particularly young woman who was probably in her teens, as the mother of the God of the universe, right? So I wanted to turn it over to you first. We'll start with Joseph, let you uh, teach part of this. When you think of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, what comes to mind? There are no wrong answers because it's what? Super understanding. Thanks, Katie. Mm -hmm. What else? Frightened. Frightened? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Vicki. He's maybe one of the most underrated characters in the Christmas mm -hmm. Underrated in the Christmas narrative. Thanks, Erica. He could have turned it so yeah. quickly. Yeah. He could have turned it. Yeah, his reaction could have became its own narrative. Anything else? Obedient. Thank you, Joanna. Yes. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so, next let's turn to Mary. What are your thoughts about Mary, the, the virgin, the mother of Jesus? No wrong answers. Afraid? Young. Young. Obedient. Good. Anything else? Super faithful. Mm -hmm. Yep. The Bible says highly favored. Highly favored. Yep. Yeah. Good. In both cases, of Mary and Joseph, there is a strong temptation to do what I did often growing up, is we find the many characters of the full narrative of Scripture, which is incredible, and it's full of a diverse set of characters. And in Luke, we have the Christmas narrative, and we see some of the characters introduced to us. Um, and as Ken pointed out last week, the Christmas narrative actually starts in the Old Testament. And some of the main uh, players are the prophets who gave words to what they could see by the Spirit of God into the future of how his plan would come to fruition, of how he would save and rescue his children. And there is actually, um, in Mary actually has her character is presented not by name in the old testament but in a handful of scriptures this is the one of the most uh, clear this is isaiah 7 it says again the lord spoke to ahaz ask a sign of the lord your god let it be deep as sheol or high as heaven but ahaz said i will not ask and i will not put the lord god 
to the test. And if you go back in that story, we see Ahaz is actually acting in unfaithfulness. So his lack of asking for a sign isn't because he's being humble himself, but actually he's being prideful because he's disobeying what his Lord has asked him to do. And so um, he said, the Lord, <coughs> here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the context of that own could be a teaching in itself, that, that scripture, that prophecy from Isaiah, because what Ahaz is worried about is being conquered by foreign enemies in that moment. And Jesus the Messiah, Emmanuel, would not come for years and years later. And it's almost a, a good... Uh, reminder to ourselves of the expectation of timing of God has been a theme we've talked about throughout scripture and in this case a great hope is giving directly to Ahaz what a blessed and highly favored man that he could hear such a prophecy and yet in the moment it did him no good and his kingdom ends up being one that we look on and think how sad and so Isaiah though there gives the call and he mentions the virgin who shall can conceive and bear a son. And so Mary appears in the Old Testament. Um, but the reality is, the, all the adjectives you, you all named, Mary and Joseph, and me looking through the, the narratives and the scriptures, all of us, and starting to account for all these characters and say, how can I be more like them? And it is true. There are characteristics of Mary and Joseph. It's like, hmm, what if I was in a similar situation? I do doubt that any of you women will be impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. If you are, be sure to let us know. Um, but in these cases, we'd say, oh, I, I would love to be able to be in their shoes and act as humbly and obedient as they did. And yet some of us find ourselves unable to do so. And that's what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. To be able to examine ourselves, to role play certain scenarios and say, what is my faith based upon? If your faith was not on Christ and Christ alone, would you want to know? What if it was painful to find out? Are you willing to take that test? Are you willing to examine yourself honestly if it would hurt to find out that your faith is based on anything but Christ? Do you want to know? And by having the stories of Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men, and even that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law and Nicodemus and all these others that we'll get into as we get into the Gospels, we can see ourselves in these stories and we can test ourselves. However, it is a fallacy. It is wrong to pull out of these narratives and say, what made these people favored by God? What morality, what goodness did they have that God would choose and use such humble characters that he would call shepherds, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, that he would call a teenage girl who has very little economic value at this point, um, except, oh great, she's getting into child-rearing age. Now she can produce a family, and then we can be productive in our society. But he says, I have more for you, not because of what Mary had done, but because, as um, was said, as mentioned, she was highly favored by God. And it is a lot to take in, and it said Mary knew that, that she, she was kind of an awe and wonder as you read the scriptures about her. I um, mean, it's very small print, but you'll find this in Luke 1. So I don't have the opportunity today, as I was thinking about Joseph and Mary, to give a full perspective of both of them. 
Joseph has much to his own story, and I encourage you to read through it. Um, he actually has limited interactions in Scripture. He actually never utters a word that's recorded in the gospel narratives, which is interesting. And they maybe actions speak louder than words. He was afraid um, by evidence of when he decided to divorce Mary quietly, and it wasn't even what we'd consider divorce because they had not yet joined in marriage, had just been betrothed to one another. But when he decided to divorce her quietly because obviously she'd been unfaithful to be pregnant before they'd been together, um, that's when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And one of the angel's first words to him were what? Fear not. Do not be afraid. And we'll come back to that in a bit. Joseph was faithful in that he, he delivered Mary to where she needed to be in the right time, in the right place. Joseph was faithful in that he was obedient to the call to serve her, even though he, he didn't have the full rights of marriage at that point. He had that taken from him, um, but for a purpose. He was faithful to uproot his family twice, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, uh, because oh, baby boys were being slaughtered. Um, he was faithful to take his family to the feasts and honor the traditions of the law as given to the Jewish people. Uh, and ultimately, we just see his faithfulness and that he wasn't disruptive part of the story. That um, it's not that he ever did anything that was like, whoa, how miraculous. But as the girls over there mentioned, he could have made it about himself, and he did not. And that's an exciting part of this Christmas narrative. Uh, Mary, though, is where I'd like to draw our focus and attention to, particularly today. This section of Luke chapter 1 is actually what's referred to in the liturgical church, the one that follows in, in the Catholic church, as the Man Magnificat. Um, and so you hear it often produced in songs. And it is when Mary, <coughs> excuse me, Mary actually takes two really hard journeys in the limited scriptures we have of her. We know the most common, right? To go from Bethlehem when she's with child, very pregnant. And we know from our very pregnant people that we've experienced in here, of the last thing you'd probably want to do is go for a donkey ride when you're very, very uncomfortable in the last stages of pregnancy. She had to do it. Although recently I've seen some artist renderings of a, a little pouch that uh, was put on a donkey. I'd never seen that before. I'd always just seen Mary riding on bareback. But the, and a couple of just this last week of this like woven, uh, almost cocoon that sits upon a donkey. It's like, oh, maybe she had some shade as she rode. But regardless, it was a hard trip to go. In that case, 70 miles, which would have likely taken four days. What she did before, though, without Joseph, it seems, is to go to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And that was an 80-mile uh, trip. And if she was alone, which it's not likely she was completely alone just because of the risk of the situation, but it may have taken her five to six days. And so she makes that trip. And what do we find when we get there? Well, you should read the entire Luke 1 narrative because um, we got a little bit of that from the Reddington family this morning. But we'll turn there and read this together. And this, um, I'm actually going to start in verse 45, who Elizabeth, um, and we'll get more into Elizabeth later, um, but in the ne next week actually but in these cases I wanted uh, to really focus on Mary's song so Elizabeth says blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said to her will be accomplished and Mary said my soul glorifies the Lord 
Actually, it's foolish for a man to read this. Would a female read this? That would be more appropriate. Would a female read verses 46 through 56? And you can read it from the screen if you can read that small print. Thank you, Vicky. And so it it is beautiful because this young girl has something miraculous, amazing happen to her and changes the course of all of history. It says in scripture that even angels long to see how God would bring his plan of salvation. Wait in curiosity and great expectation about a coming Messiah that would change everything. And in these times for these people, things were hard. And just as we would say today, like, well, they don't have the same struggles necessarily that we do, but I've heard you all complain, and I've heard myself complain. Things aren't easy right now. We're more prosperous than ever, but we feel like we're more uh, desperate as a, as a society than ever. Things are hard now. Things were hard then. And for Mary to take this moment and be able to praise God, and really, in some ways, make prophecy herself about who he is and what he is doing, what he is actively doing and will do. Um, In her generation, as she gets to see one of the most miraculous events in all of human history, but then for all of us and a promise that is alive right at this very moment in the midst of whatever you worried and fretted about this week, that because we have a Savior, because Messiah came, that it's okay It doesn't matter how bad it stunk this week. It doesn't matter how painful it'll be in the next few days, weeks, years, uh, decades. Everything is okay for those who know that all of the weight of darkness and lies and sin has been covered. Um, This is awesome that she could give us such beautiful poetry, if you will, and it's been turned to a song. I'd recommend uh, the Gettys uh, Kirsten Getty sings a uh, version of the Magnificat and it's, it is beautiful tied to your Christmas collection however the reason this is powerful the reason such glory in this moment is worth considering it's in contrast to what the reality of Christmas really is and if you know me or listen to me long enough you'd probably guess I would go there that Christmas is a tragic tragic <laughs> celebration Why is Christmas tragic? Well, first of all, and foremost, why would a baby need to be born? 
For what? To save a people from his sins. And how would he do that? A baby born for sacrifice. You lay your eyes on a beautiful baby and think, your sole purpose is to be ripped to shreds. For your blood to be poured out. It's a tragedy. And the tragedy doesn't stop there. The reality is, Joseph had to take his family to Egypt because Herod was going to slaughter every two-year-old and younger. I don't know why. It's making me so emotional. I don't have a two-year-old anymore. (laughs) Christmas was tragic. And John Piper, we've read it before, about the innkeeper. And in that story, it's made up, but it's based on the facts of Luke and the Gospels of the innkeeper who would let Mary and Joseph use their property and then have a one-year-old, two-year-old son of their own only to have the guards come and slaughter him along with multiple families and their babies were lost. It's a tragic holiday because sin is tragic. Because our hearts are in a tragic condition and we have no goodness to offer And Christmas gives us a chance to feel goodness, to maybe be good um, for a little bit, but we know it ends up falling flat, that the credit card bills come, that if the family isn't drinking, they're still arguing. All of these things that we know the holidays ends up putting so much pressure on the holiday that we can't actually have any peace at all, that it is full of tragedy. And for Mary she gets to sing in glory of her God who is doing a great beautiful thing and yet what does this mean for Mary as her in Luke chapter 2 as her and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to offer up uh, the two birds for a sacrifice for the firstborn son the Simeon is there who had been praying that he could see God's salvation before he died Anna is also there. So it's really neat that these two characters arrive in the story and and we might get a chance to look at their story later. But Simeon says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Speaking to Mary. How could that be? Do we know that Mary was killed by the sword? We don't know that. We don't know how she ends up passing. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We could imagine how this might be true, figuratively speaking. Um, many of the film accounts of the Gospels in Jesus' life have included Mary. Um, one of the most common is the Passion of the Christ, of which Mary is right there um, watching the events of Jesus. We see Mary at the crucifixion in John's account of the cross and we could imagine the pain a mother must have felt as she watched her baby fulfill the call that the father in heaven had asked so it's tragic that a young girl would have such a blessing that would equal so much pain but the thing about pain And what I've said, we say in our family, that pain only lasts for a little while. And it is true for those who believe. 
For those who don't believe, there's no hope for pain. Pain has an endless loop, endless cycle, apart from the light of Christ. If you're worried about witnessing, about, about reaching out to someone to show them how good it is to know Christ and the plan God has for them, I would tell you, I encourage you to continually draw their attention to the endless loop of pain they're already experiencing. Some manage to get out of it just long enough to distract themselves, but even then, that they won't listen to even us talk about their pain, but even then, it always comes back. The pain always re-enters the picture because sin is pain. Sin is death. So if you're worried about sharing love this Christmas, draw the contrast between the pain of sin and death to the hope that's given through Jesus. And in that, it is tragic, and I, I think it's worth it to dwell on the tragedy of what Mary had to endure. But as you all pointed out when we were talking about Joseph and Mary both, they both had a big task at hand. And it seems that Joseph passed away before Jesus' ministry started. He was never seen in those images. And when Jesus was on the cross, he encouraged John to take care of Mary, probably indicating she had been widowed. To both of them, the call was clear. The first words to start their story in this were, fear not. Do not be afraid. Well, if you told me one of my children will be brutally murdered someday, I'm going to be scared stiff. If you told me that we were going to be humiliated in our community and family because we can't explain this pregnancy that happened and people are going to judge us and we can't leave our house without getting sideways glances and people posting on social media about us, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be afraid. (coughs) But God says the opposite. (coughs) Do not fear. Do not fear... is one of the primary themes in God's story. Isaiah 41, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Timothy, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In 1 John, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. To Joshua in the Old Testament, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it goes on and on and on about God telling us, Look, I know it's not easy to be a part and try to see my kingdom come in this world that has a kingdom that is not mine. However, for you, you who know the plans of the Lord, who trust in the plans of the Lord, who see Messiah in Jesus, you do not have to be afraid. That Fillmore Christian would be a people that would look upon the chaos of this world and that we do not react like the world reacts. Because we know the call is, do not fear. Just as in Mary was going to have to endure so much of just one thing to get to the point where then her story is not recorded anymore after oh, a little bit in Acts we see her, but her story is largely recorded in Jesus' life. And so we don't know exactly what comes upon her, but in all of those things, and all the things Joseph endured, to know they were being hunted down, a manhunt for their son, and probably for them as well, that sounds horrible. And God says, 
Yes, but do not fear. And so it becomes too overwhelming to think whatever you and I will face in the years and ages to come, we could do it on our own. That we could not to look at all this coming down the pipe and not fear. And that is why we started this conversation with humility. That both Joseph and Mary were as commended by us by, for their humility. And I know that if there's one trait I would like to ask for from God, it would always to be humbly humble so that I would not miss when he comes again. As we were talking about this morning in Sunday school, of like what would it cause anyone to miss? The prophets had made it you know, somewhat clear of like how here is Messiah and you missed it. And well, if you were prideful, you would. You'll miss a lot when you think you have it figured out when in fact you don't. And what do we see as the, both our answer to our own ability to know God and know what's true as well as Mary and Joseph? And it's the ability to see who is at work. Do we need to pull up our bootstraps or do we need to depend on God to do his thing? If you are trying to be the kind of person that would be worthy of God's grace, you have to stop because you're going to lose every time. But if we can tap into the humility that allows the one who does work and works in a miraculous way and the one who says, do not fear, then we have nothing to worry about. In the face of slaughter, in the face of sacrifice, in the face of sin and death, we have nothing to worry about. But we have to keep in mind who it is that works. It is God that works. And we have only need to present ourselves as a humble offering before him and say, use me, Father. Change my mind. Change my ways. Do your work in me. And it's something that sounds simple, and yet, as we started, we know we like to build up our own towers. We like to build up our own walls. We like to place our own crowns on our head. And it's not uncommon as humans. In Mary's prayer, you see these words. That God was mindful of the humble state of his servant. To me, it is the essence of examining Mary's call, and I would say Joseph as well, by association. That God is, in fact, aware, mindful, of what? The good works that Mary and Joseph had done? The pain that they were going to endure? No. He was mindful of the humble state of his servant. And that God often, and typically, uses the humble to shame the proud. He uses the poor to shame the rich. He works in an upside-down kingdom. So if there's one place I would like to be, it is in humility. But it's a painful road, because remember, to get to humility often involves going through the process of being humiliated. Everyone, I think, would have said yes to being humble, but often the process of getting to humility goes through humiliation. Mary and Joseph went through humiliation. <coughs> Jesus went through humiliation. The prophets, they were not popular. They were humiliated by the words they were called to share. Everybody in these stories we find, oh, there's often, they're humiliated. And it is the direct path to the most glorious place of all. A humble child of God who can then be lifted up on the works of Jesus Christ our Savior and therefore taking all the pressure off his children. How good and sweet is that?
that God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, thank you for the examination and the stories of Joseph and Mary. Forgive me for what I did not point out that you would have liked me to or study that you would have liked me to. We are calling out to you to humble our hearts. That call and to be given as a miracle unto us would be nice. However, we know you've often worked through humiliating means to bring humility. We want to be a people who say we will gladly go through the humiliation for the sake of our God, for the sake of our Savior, to know him better, to see him clear, and to have him be Lord of our lives. We are thankful for the... um, the example you have in the stories of Mary and Joseph, that you would be mindful of our humble state, that we would never forsake the call that you are giving us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.